As we begin today, I like to ask you a question. I think most of you would answer yes to this. Have you ever had someone say to you, I have good news and bad news? Just raise your hand if you've had that experience. If you don't raise your hand, you're probably just forgetting. I think all of us have had a moment when either a parent, an employer, a friend just wanted to relay some information that was both positive and potentially negative. I don't know if you chose the good news or bad news first, but I have some good news for you today, and I have some bad news. At least you'll hear it as bad news at the beginning. So how about the good news first? You up for that? Great. Here's the good news. You are free. Amen. Here's the bad news. To submit. Hmm. You may be thinking, what? Well, this is the stunning news that Peter delivered to those first century chosen exiles, those traveling strangers, the ones who were dispersed into various areas and countries and nations. Yes, the ones who were under the Roman Empire and under the regime and rule of Nero. So don't underestimate how shocking this text would have been to them. If you're wondering how shocking it would have been, did you hear your reaction just now? And you live in America. So let's understand what we're about to read, that this was a a mind-bending, perhaps initially good news, bad news moment, but I think we'll see at the end, it's actually great news only. So take your copy of the scriptures, 1 Peter chapter 2. We begin the second section of his letter. He begins to get very specific about different environments in which we are going to experience hostility and how to have holiness in those moments. So follow with me as I read our text today. Also have your journals open. It's week 14, page 56 in your journals. Let's dive into the word. Let's be ready to take notes. Here's God's word to us through the pen of Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, I'll begin. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, right off the bat, let me share with you that next week, Pastor Ed, who's one of our elders, will be using this very same text for a specific message on the Christian and human government. So I'm really looking forward to hearing him speak on this. He'll dive into this, and he'll have other corollary passages that will expand a specific understanding of this text. My aim today is to point us to see the overall posture required for God's freed people 
in human arenas of authority in general. And here is that posture that we're to display. It's one of humble submission. That's right. As God's freed people, we humble ourselves under the Lord. And as a result, we submit to the earthly establishments of authority. The human institution of government being one example in this text. And I am convinced that this text leans into one clarion call for God's people. Humble submission. This is the main point of the text. Now, I suspect this will raise a lot of questions in your mind. You'll think of various scenarios. You'll think of many predicaments. You'll be intrigued, but that I will probably not mention many of those in this message because my aim is to help you understand a posture we're to have in perhaps what may be predicaments. But I think predicaments are best navigated when we understand the principle. And then where there may be freedom for different choices, we take that freedom, we make the best decision as long as all of God's freed people are embracing the the posture of humble submission, living as servants. I'm going to really lean in on you with the principle. Are you following me? And as predicaments and situations pop in your mind, you're welcome to email me your questions, talk to your small group, have dinner over uh, with some people about them. I think that's a great way to grow. I had one leader tell me this morning, in fact, his group is a preview group. They study the text in advance of the message, which I think is a fantastic idea. And he said, man, was it a great week last week? He said, we had so many questions about this text and what it meant in different situations and predicaments. So my goal is to help you understand the principle clearly because that's what none of us can escape, right? We don't break principles, principles break us. And so we must find, okay, how do we obey this in various predicaments and situations and opportunities? And I trust that will be part of the conversation going forward, that you'll continue to have those in your family, small groups, among your friends. My goal this morning is to make sure you understand the primary aim of this text, and that is that Peter is calling us to a life of humble submission and service. So let me, if I could, provide some further observations about what I'm contending for, that humble submission is the overall posture of the believer. Now, I'll walk you through this text. I'll highlight several convincing and clarifying points. You got a pen? You'll want to have this handy. Write these down. Some will be quick and some I'll kind of uh, belabor. But in the end, we'll all survive, I promise. First of all, notice this, that humble submission as the core message of this text, it's stated in the opening imperative, which is verse 13, and it's echoed in the final four imperatives in verse 17. In other words, in these verses, there are only five imperatives, and they begin the text and they end the text. And so when you're asking, what's the point of the set of verses? We have to admit the words be subject would ring as the primary verb. And I think the final four imperatives, which in verse 17, look with me, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I'll get to that in a few moments. But those are the last set of imperatives. He's saying that this is the way that you show humble submission. And we could use the word in the text. We could say humble subjectivity to these people. And so on both ends of this set of verses, it's this idea of humbly submitting yourself 
and showing it in various ways to all people. So let's understand, we can't escape really the primary aim of the text. We always find that by looking at the verbs when it's in an epistle kind of fashion. And so these are the primary commands. These are the imperatives. Now, notice next, number two, that humble submission is pursued for the Lord's sake. You know, Peter brings this right to our attention. It's the third word of the section, isn't it? Be subject for the Lord's sake. I won't spend long here. Just know this. We have a higher authority and a deeper motivation, a overarching reason for our humble submission. And it's because of the Lord. And this is not the first time the scriptures mention this. Paul said this about employees that we should work as unto the Lord. Who here has a job? You should work as to the Lord in your job, not to your boss. He's providing a higher reason, isn't he? He says this to wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. He says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He says to children, obey your parents in the Lord. So to, to all of us, Paul and Peter give a deeper motivation, a higher reason for something that's difficult to do. We maintain a humble, submissive posture because we're actually, first and foremost, humbly submitting to God. Notice thirdly, humble submission is to be exhibited to every human institution. You see that in the text here? The phrase, every human institution, may read in your translation like every human ordinance. A good way to describe this is every establishment of authority. This phrase is used by not only Peter as a biblical writer, but several historians of this time frame to describe the um, beginning of a city, the colonizing of an area, um, a gathering of people into a civilized fashion or a, a, a body of people who were governed and oversaw, so to speak. So it has the sense of, of an authority being established. And here, the government is just one of the examples. You see, he says we're to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether, meaning it could be the emperor supreme, there's the, the top of the line, or to governors, I wouldn't say it's the bottom of the line, but it's the emissary, it's that ambassador, it's the one sent by the emperor to make sure certain areas are ruled correctly. And notice here, he does say this, in this case of the government, he lists here the purpose of government, which echoes Romans 13. It's primarily twofold, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Can I just speak to all of our young people here? Perhaps those above 25 and 30 may know this, but if you're looking for just a really good, simple definition of government, like what's the Bible's requirements for a government? Romans 13, 1 Peter 2 gives it very simply, the government's Job is to punish evil and protect good. In the simplest of forms, multiple times in the Bible, that's the role of government. And Peter here says that to those who do that in a supreme fashion as an emperor, which in that day was Nero, or to those who are sent by him, our job is to be subject for the Lord's sake to these human institutions or these establishments of authority. Now, I'm claiming in this point that, that this idea of, 
humble submission, this posture is really exhibited to every human institution. One author describes it well. Let me read you what he says. He says, the inclusiveness of the word every makes it appropriate to apply the statement, therefore, to other legitimate human authorities, i.e., parents and children, church officers and members, authority structures and businesses, educational institutions, voluntary organizations. In other words, God has established such patterns of authority for the orderly functioning of human life. And it both pleases and honors him when we subject ourselves to them. Now, on the heels of that, let me say, when the call to submit to human establishments of authority causes us to disobey God's call, then God's call is the higher call and we submit to him first. If you need proof of that, just read Acts 4, where Peter and John, with humble submission to the authorities, they let themselves be arrested. They actually were persecuted and flogged and they were mistreated, but they didn't try to resist that, which I find very intriguing in the text. They said, it's your job to do this, I guess, if you want to, but we're not going to stop doing what caused us to be arrested. We're going to preach the gospel. So they maintained a higher submission while at the same time actually exhibiting submission. It's very intriguing. We won't go there today. Just know, I do think this applies to uh, multiple arenas of authority. But of course, that understanding means that we understand that it's for the Lord's sake that we submit. And so we answer to him first and foremost. Now, can I just be very frank with you? That is a rare occurrence for most of us currently. Would you just agree to that? Not out of force, but can you just admit, you look around our culture, most of us probably have not had a single opportunity in our life when we've had to disobey a government because God's call was higher. Maybe some, but the vast majority of us, while we believe that and are willing to do that, really don't have to experience that much. And to be frank with you, after searching through scriptures, I think it was a rare occurrence for those in the Bible as well. So can I just ask you as a flock to be more concerned about the many times and ways that we can submit and show humble uh, submission than to be so concerned about the rare if ever times we're not able to submit. I find a little pastoral frustration that sometimes we spend all of our energies on the what ifs that rarely have ever happened. And during the meantime, we're just kind of cantankerous, hard to get along with on things that actually aren't, they just, just submit to them. Like that's the way it works. So just be aware of that. Let's focus on what are the arenas in which I can and should submit still conscious of, if it were to conflict, I'm going to hold my allegiance to God. There's more. Let's look at number four here. Humble submission is connected to God's will. Do you see this in the text? He says, for this is the will of God. I love Peter's clarity here, don't you? He doesn't say, let's pray about if this is God's will. He doesn't say, I'm thinking this is God's will, or like, can we put this up for a vote? Peter declares, this is the will of God. Now, the question is, what is the will of God in this text? Is it looking backwards or forwards? You'll notice in the text, here in this set of verses, I think it looks forward. Look with me at verse 15. Let's dissect this a bit more. 
This is the will of God. Now watch this next modifying phrase. That by doing good. You see that? Let's ask a second question. If the will of God is to do good, what is the doing good in this text? Stay with me, okay? Track with me. Because he says, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What is the doing good that silences these kinds of people? I believe in the text, it's humbly submitting. I don't think we can insert our own definition of doing good here and say it just means doing good works. Make a cake for somebody, take them a meal, pay their electric bill, take, you know, run their kids on an errand. Contextually, the doing good here is being subject for the Lord's sake to every establishment of authority. You say, Todd, how do you arrive at that? I think this is the beginning of a thread in which you find the word good or the phrase doing good in multiple sections of 1 Peter, each of these sections describing situations where there is hostility or mistreatment. Let me give you these verses. You may could use them in your small group, maybe over dinner, maybe in family devotions, maybe with your spouse. But here's where you're gonna find this word good or doing good in direct connection to actually taking a humble posture of submission. It begins here, of course, in this text. I'll say verse 15. And you can trace it next in verse 20 of chapter two, verse six of chapter three, verse 11 of chapter three, verse 13 of chapter three, and verse 17 of chapter three. So between two, 13-ish, 15-ish, all the way through 317, you find this word good or doing good, and it's in context of being mistreated. I think what Peter's saying is this. The good that you can do in moments when it's not just or fair is to show a humble posture of submission. That's what silences the critics. Now, you may find yourself initially disagreeing with that. I would just urge you as your pastor to be faithful to the word and start here. Trace the verses I've given you. See if you can follow the context. And then if you still disagree, let's talk. I'd love to chat with you. My point is to teach you the word and then together with you to come under its authority. Amen, church? I don't get to make up its meaning. I don't get to bring you my opinions. And the best I can understand this text, the good work that we do, the good deed, the doing, the doing good that we exhibit is the actual act of humbly submitting. So a sobering question must be asked here. Where in my life am I trying to run and end around? Now, this text here uses the government as an example, but I believe the larger view, the bigger posture he's calling us to is one of humble submission. So I'm gonna leave the government question to Pastor Ed next week. And I'm gonna approach, like I said, the general question. Is this the general posture of your life in areas of human authority where there are establishments that you've come up under. And they don't contradict or violate God's word. They may not be aligned with your preferences, but welcome to living. Is your general disposition one of humble submission? Or are you constantly trying to run and end around? You know, the football play where they fake the handoff to the middle guy and give it to the wide out to go the other direction. 
Where in your life are you subverting an opportunity to actually showcase the good work of God in your life by trying to make sure you get your way? You see, in this text, watch this. God's will is the good work of submission. You cannot deny that textually. And so we have to ask ourselves as a church, man, are there areas in which I'm consistently trying to divert, subvert, do an end around to God-given authority in my life? Am I, have, am I guilty of this kind of attitude? I'll just take my toys and go home. I'll just take my preferences and find another church that matches what I like. Well, you'll find things there you don't like. Yeah. See, we all live with this. There are things here that I don't like. Do you know that? There are things here that you don't like. Life really is about managing your negatives. There's no place that has greener grass and that's perfect. All of Every place has its negatives. You gotta figure out which ones can I manage the best and be content. And part of that is learning how to be humbly submissive when it's not going like you think or you don't get your way. In fact, that's just called family. You see, constant excuses that make you an exception to this rule is really just a cover for a rebellious heart and a disobedient life. So I'm gonna ask you again, where are you trying to run an end around in your life? Is it in your home? Let me speak to kids here who are still under the authority of their parents. Are you consistently trying to run an end around around your parents? Like badgering, deceiving, tricking, hiding, disguising, because you don't like the fact that you're under their authority. That's disobedience. And it's against the posture that God calls you for in that established arena of authority. So quit trying to do an end around on your parents. Uh, maybe wives and husbands in relation to each other. Are you always trying to subvert and divert your spouse's authority? How about in the church? We have a set of elders that are under shepherds. And all of us have had times when we've enjoyed their decisions. There have been times we haven't enjoyed their decisions. I'm in that same boat. There have been times I thought, I don't like this decision. But you know what? I'm bound to it just like you are. There's been times you haven't liked it. You're bound to it. See, here's what I want you to hear. There's not a single person that gets a pass on humble submission. It doesn't matter your age. You can say, well, man, I give a lot of money here. You may say, well, I'm young. I produce a lot of kids that go here. I mean, you can pick your reason to try to find a cover. None of those give you a reason to say, it doesn't apply to me. In fact, I would just remind you, and I know I'm part of the elder team, but I am subject to the elder team. I just remind you, the Bible says, Hebrews 13, 17, that we're to submit to those in authority over us because they watch for our souls. And our elders don't get it right every time. We'll be the first to tell you that. But I'm thankful that I'm under a group of men who watch for my soul. And I want you to be thankful that you too are under a group of men who together with other leaders watch over your souls. We're not running a business here. We're helping shepherd a family. And sometimes that means there is an authority structure in place and not everyone gets their way all the time. Can we adopt this posture and say, yeah, it's not my preference, but I hum humbly submit. 
Maybe it's to your job. Are you working as an employee unto the Lord? Are you just always a source of grief for your boss? Let me ask you the higher question. How's your posture of submission to God? Did you know that it's actually a command to repent and be saved? In fact, the Bible says that God calls all men everywhere to repent. And so when we don't believe the gospel and put our faith in Jesus, we're actually disobeying, even lost people disobey God. So can I ask you, whether you're here this morning as a skeptic, an agnostic, and you're like, doesn't apply to me. Actually, this does. Would you submit yourself to God this morning and trust the gospel to save your soul? For those who are believers, how about things like, like being baptized? If you've been baptized, the biblical pattern is conversion, immersion. It's always the biblical pattern. There's never a single record of a baby being baptized or of someone getting baptized before they believe. It's not in the Bible. So if you've believed and not been baptized, could I urge you, let's, let's talk about getting baptized. And I would say to you promptly, the records in the Bible indicate that when people were saved, they got baptized quickly. We don't know an exact amount of time. The general narrative of the Bible is pretty promptly. So if you're waiting like 10 years, that's probably not in the vein of the biblical narrative. So I just want to kind of lean on you here. We can talk about submission to different human established areas of authority, but let's just raise that a notch. Are you humbly submissive to God in things like trusting the gospel, being baptized, being generous and giving to and through your church, serving other people, sharing your faith, being hospitable? See, here's the deal, church. Listen very carefully. If that's a struggle, if just humbly submitting to God is a problem, you can, you can bank on this. You will have that same issue horizontally. Because God's not your problem. Your wife's not your problem. Your kids aren't your problem. Your problem is your attitude of pride and arrogance that wants to resist authority in general. This is one reason I think we have such little credibility at times with the world. Because though we preach humility... Our behavior often screams, my way or the highway. Perhaps this is why Peter next says so amazingly, look at this fifth observation, that humble submission hushes the agnostic. This is a good word here, isn't it, church? He says that by doing the will of God, which is to, I believe, humbly submit, we will silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, the word ignorance there is the word from which we get our word agnosticism, which means I don't know and I can't know. It's different than the, the fool who says there is no God, pretending that he knows. This is more the person that's like, I don't know. I just can't know. I mean, you can't be sure. Peter says that doing good, humbly submitting in this fashion to human authority that doesn't contradict God's authority actually silences those who don't know and, can't, and say they can't know. The word here for foolish people is the word for unreasoned or non-thinking people. Just hang on, don't be offended. But it fits the idea of agnosticism. In other words, I don't want to think about it. I can't think about it. I don't think we can know. So I'm just gonna kind of adopt the mantra, ignorance is bliss. And Peter here says this, that when you display a humble posture of submission, 
to areas of authority by man that don't contradict with God's authority, you actually silence those who say, oh, you can't know, you don't know, it's impossible. It actually provides a reason, which is one of the reasons that Peter later would talk about giving a reasoned answer to every man who asks for the hope that's in you. The very corollary here. So here's what I'm saying to you. Listen very carefully, church. You underestimate the power of humility. When you think, I'm not gonna submit. I'm not gonna show gentleness and meekness. I'm gonna stand my ground, straighten my spine and show them who's boss. Now, you know, a more powerful testimony is to live, as Peter says here, with a quiet, humble posture of submitting. Which leads us really to the sixth observation, that when we do that, that kind of humble submission serves as a sign that we are truly free. And I think right here, your, your faces are gonna start smiling, your heart's gonna start pounding. Look what the text says to us. That by doing good, you'll silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then the next word in verse 16 is live. You see that? It's actually a participle. It sounds in the ESV like it's a new um, uh, sentence. It's really not. In the Greek, it's one sentence. Here's how it could sound, I think, most literally. That by doing good, you should silence the ignorance of foolish people, living as people who are free. You see, it amazes the world when you, of your voluntary, spirit-empowered choice, Choose to submit and be humble. It amazes them because it's like the last text from last week. It's a selfless act, not a selfish act. You're waging war against those passions of your flesh. You don't want to destroy your soul. And so you're choosing instead to live as a free person and give up rights when they don't contradict and counter God's authority. This kind of lifestyle, humbly submitting, actually is the proof that we're free, not bound. Church, hear this. You are free enough not to have to have your way. You see, we can submit, not claim some kind of legal right, which really is just a kind of a, a cover for us to pretentiously go and do wrong things, which Peter here refers to as evil. See what he says? We don't use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. In other words, we don't pretend we're just doing something good just so we can get our way, which is really selfishness, which is the evil in play. And so let me just again, a little repetitiously, remind you that humble submission, which is the point of this section overall, it shouts we're free and are then empowered to live a life of service. Notice how I use in the text this word for service we're living freely as servants of God. And church, can we just agree on this? We're not proud professionals. We are humble servants. And the church said, that's what we are. And the sooner we dress ourselves in that garb, in that wardrobe, that we're humble servants of God, we're, we're so free, we can give up a right when it doesn't contradict to God's word and will. In fact, it's God's will for me to show you this good work of submission. Yes, we're submissive servants, not proud professionals. Then lastly, just notice what he says here. 
that when all this is in play, this is to be displayed up and down the chain of relationships. I'm very intrigued by this verse because it does show a chain of relationships. Hang with me, okay? This is the seventh observation. I've run through them quick. I realize that, which is a miracle for me, but praise God, miracles still happen, right? But in this last one, notice he does provide us with a chain of relationships. And I think in these last four imperatives is calling us to, to these actions which display humble submission or the first two words of the verse, be subject. So I tie verse 13 and verse 17 together because they both have imperatives and they kind of bookend the section. One is the imperative of what we're to do. And I think verse 17 are the imperatives that say how to do it. So how are we to show this humble submission to everyone? He says here, we're to honor um, everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now, notice that bookending this verse is the word honor. So I think Peter here is using a play on words to make a point to his audience. And let me show it to you in a, in a simple chart fashion. You notice how honor is connected to everyone and also the emperor? I think he's saying in somewhat of a subliminal fashion, hey, the emperor is on the same plane as everybody else in God's eyes. Watch this now, church. Don't treat him worse and don't worship him. Honor him. Treat him as you would everyone else. Honor everyone of which the emperor is one of those. And then he goes up a notch and he says, love the brotherhood. Speaking of the family of God, notice there's a different word, love, sacrificially. And then the highest one, fear God. And by the way, I've told one of our members this morning, just chatting, this is the real root problem in our culture. Look at all your predicaments all of your situations, all of your issues, name them. We fear God. We, we fear man more than God. That's the root problem. That's why preachers are quiet. That's why people are silent. Uh, that's actually why people are rude. It seems we lack the civility and courage to actually, in a kind way, express our commitment to an absolute standard outside of us. We're so afraid what everyone's going to think of us and say to us. So either we put them off with incredible rudeness and loudness, they never want to talk to us, or we capitulate and cave, and we have no conviction or backbone. But when we fear God first, I think it will, can I say the words trickle down to where we're going to then love his family and honor everyone else of whom those in charge of various arenas of authority are also one of those. You know, he does end this section with the word emperor. You see that in verse 17? That's how he began it as well in verse 13, whether it be to the emperor. So if you're in this dispersed area and you're hearing this, you're realizing Peter's calling you to some type of posture to Nero that cuts against the grain of your nature. And at the same time, it settles your nature because you realize, that, oh, Peter says the emperor, Nero, is just like everybody else. So I'm going to honor my neighbor. I'm going to do the best I can to honor Nero. But man, when it comes to the family of God, I'm going to love them in a greater way and to a greater degree. By the way, this is not uncommon in the Bible. Another section, I'm not sure of the passage, forgive me. 
I want to say it's Galatians, but I don't think it is. But the Bible says this, do good to everyone, especially those in the household of faith. That's just an echo of this verse right here. Honor everybody, but love your spiritual brothers and sisters. And above all that, fear God. You see, there's no special treatment or favored status. We humble ourselves to all people by honoring them. We humble ourselves um, by, by loving our spiritual family. And then we humble ourselves by fearing God. And so Peter here is showing a hierarchy of relationships. In fact, I think he's showing us the chain of relationships that exist for the Christian. And he's calling us to have a posture of humble submission to all of them in specific yet different ways. So these seven observations, you put them in a big pot and stir them up, you're going to come out with one take-home stunner. In fact, this week, I knew this would be such good news, bad news moments for all of us and provocatively pushing us to think through our predicaments and situations and how this principle would apply, but I was not comfortable calling it a take-home sentence. I did spiritual double takes. I was bowled over I was rattled as I read these verses and just really felt the heartbeat of God for this overall posture of humble submission that we're to have to everyone in different ways. And so I don't have good news and bad news for you today. I have great news only for you today. Here's the take-home stunner. And I'm gonna ask you to read it with me. Humble submission is God's will and our good work that silences and serves. I think you need some time to process that. You know why? Because so did I. Can I confess to you, my backbone is bent to just kind of like rise up sometimes. I don't like it when things don't go like I think they should go. I don't. I struggle with that. I confessed to you last week, I struggle with selfishness. It's a constant battle to wage war against this internal fight. I, I, I don't want to cause fights outside of me. I want to win the fight inside of me first. And maybe you're in that same boat. And so I connect these two. The way to wage war against this inner fight to always get your way is to really practice a posture of humble submission for the Lord's sake. This is truly a stunner, isn't it, church? And I know often we've Americanized our Christianity. We think we have a bill of rights spiritually. I don't want to go down that road right now, but I just would remind you, your bill of rights, your constitution is the word of God. It sets our posture. And to first century Christians, dispersed, dislodged, under a terrible regime, Peter writes these words that say to us, when there's no conflict with God's word, this should be your disposition and posture, one of humbly subjecting to every human institution. So I want you to process this, that statement, this text. I'm open for your questions throughout the week. Email me, text me. You wanna get together and some openings occur in the next few weeks, we'll do that. Your small group, your family, do not avoid what's in the word, amen?
Because the weight of the word is what transforms our life. And I think this is a great text for us in the time we're living. It was a great text for them in the time they were living. So as you begin to process this, I do want to provide you with one first step. I'll close with this. Because you're probably asking, how in the world do I embrace that and live it out in this world? How do I get to that posture? Whether it's in your family, with your spouse, your kids, with your parents, your boss, your government, your elders, your small group leader, whether you're on the authority end, whether you're on the following end. And by the way, sometimes following is harder than leading because of this very verse. It's hard to humbly submit. I thank God for really biblical followers just as much as I do biblical leaders, by the way. It's hard to follow well. But what's the first step? Here's the first thing I would say to you as you begin to process all of this. This is precisely what Jesus did in two important moments, in his condescension and at the cross. When he came to earth, the Bible says he humbled himself. And when he died on the cross, he willingly laid down his life into the hands of those who were murderous and doing the wrong thing, but he willingly subjected himself to that for the will of God. It's mind-bending. It's astonishing. But if you need an example of this text, which Peter does later give, it's our Lord Jesus. In his condescension at the cross, he lived this way. So to remind us of this, I want us to read together a closing verse, Philippians 2.8. And I want you to leave today with Jesus in the crosshairs of your vision. And as you process your response to different arenas where you're being asked to submit, let Jesus be your example. Here's Philippians 2.8. Together with passion and conviction. Can we read this? And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's bow our heads, can we, church? What I'm asking you today, church, is to see the beautifully great news of this text and point the trajectory of your life towards it one in which your demeanor and posture is one of humble submission. On the rare occasions when it conflicts with God's word and authority and you have to resist, I'm confident you will. But on the many more occasions when you've got to exemplify God's will, which is the good work of humble submission, I'm praying that you will see the power of a humble life and that you will allow Christ's life to be lived through you. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit will do. He will live Christ's life through you. So in this moment, church, will you ask God to do that in you? Would you? Just under your breath right now. Oh, Holy Spirit, live your life through me.
Would you confess with me? Lord, I don't have the the uh, um, natural kind of position or disposition to just pursue this. I'm bent the other way. I battle my flesh. But Lord, your Holy Spirit changes people. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So Holy Spirit, transform my character and my posture to be one more like Jesus, one of humility. In fact, where you're seated, I want to do this just before we stand. It may be a little awkward for some of you and it's not meant to provide guilt for anyone. But I want to give you a moment to exhibit this. If you can, would you take a knee by your chair? It may be too crowded where you are. I understand it may not work for you medically, but if you can and you're willing to, would you just take a knee by your chair and in humble submission, ask God to blanket you with 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17? Again, not trying to cause guilt. If you can't, I fully understand. It may not work for many people. But I do think this is a good way for those who can to visibly show your vertical submission. Because here's what I believe, church. When we settle the vertical, we begin to pursue the horizontal. And if you'll settle this area of submission to God, my sense is your boss, your spouse, your elders, your small group leader, your parents are not going to be the issue they were last week. Oh, Holy Father, my heart is very humbled right now to see people who I think probably physically are struggling to, to, to kneel right now. And yet, in a way to show you it is that important, Lord. They're taking a knee by their chair. There are those who are sitting in their chair whose heart is also just bent in submission. Lord, thank you for, all, for the people all across this room who are saying to you, maybe even some unbelievers who in this moment are submitting to you and your, your gospel and believing in you. Maybe it's other believers who are submitting to areas of baptism or serving and giving or hospitality or going or sending just across the board. These are all just ways that we exhibit a humble posture of submission. So God, this is one of those distinct areas for your people. It speaks so loudly that it hushes those who say, oh, you can't know if God's there. We don't know. It actually proves there is a God who has made us so free through his son, that we don't actually have to have our way. God, this is a stunner. And I pray, God, you would weigh in on our church by the power of your Holy Spirit in ways that we just haven't seen, perhaps. That we would, in this culture, honor the emperor, love the brotherhood, and fear God. In Jesus' good name I pray, amen.